Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the topics that Lactantius is exploring in chapter 17 through 20 of his work on the anger of God is what we could call a complex tension between God as being merciful, as feeling pity or compassion towards human beings and pardoning them, overlooking their offenses on the one hand, and also judging them strictly, punishing them, being angry, being moved by anger to punish them on the other hand, how are these compatible? And this is a really central question in a lot of Christian theology. It's going to be considered by many other later thinkers, but you see Lactantius kind of arranging this within the general schema of his understanding. And in chapter 17, he is going to bring up this notion of eternal or divine law, and he's going to say it doesn't really make Make sense for God to be completely detached and not care about the violations of the law or even despising the divine law, those who flout it or who denigrate it or stuff like that. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to punish immediately, but God is going to be, as he says, rightly moved to feeling anger against those who are, in fact, bad or wicked. The he thinks that this is a legitimate affection or emotion for God. Feel it. We see that Lactantius is very aware of the criticisms that can be and very often are brought up against a punishing God, right? Often mistakenly cast as the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. It's, it's not so cut and dry and simple as that. But the critics will charge God or the people who are portraying God in this way with bitterness. A kerbitas. It's interesting too that it's not a maritudas, right? But a kerbitas, a sort of you know puckering and sourness, right? Or with malice, malitia, right? Or with engaging in injury against those people that God is punishing, right? Nokere is the the verb there. And Lactantius says, well, that's a mistaken point of view. Why is it? Well, you know, if the law was actually wrong and injurious, well, then that wouldn't be a problem. But he says that it follows, you know, if we think that this law is injurious, that we have injurious laws which enact punishment for offenders and injurious judges who inflict capital punishments on those convicted of crime. But if the law is just which awards to the transgressor his due. And if the judge is called upright and good when he punishes crimes, why is he called that? Lactantius is putting forth a general principle here. What is the person who's punishing crimes do? Guarding the good, right? Preserving the good in existence and opposing the evil. If you really think that something is evil, don't turn a blind eye to it. Actually protect those who are going to be damaged by it. He says that it follows that God, when he opposes the evil, is not injurious, but he himself is injurious who either injures an innocent person or, now notice this, spares an injurious person that he may injure many. Letting offenders off the hook 
out of a you know sense of like, let's be compassionate, let's be merciful, let's be understanding, that sets up a bad dynamic in which they're going to do more of that. And you're actually being bad to the good by doing that. And here's where he introduces this notion or this analogy rather of something like a household being the entire world. He says, I would gladly ask from those who represent God as immovable if anyone had any property, a house, a household of slaves and his slaves, despising the forbearance of their master should attack all things and take the enjoyment of his goods. If his household should honor them, well, the master was despised by all and deserted. Could he be a wise person who would not avenge the insults, but permit those over whom he had power to have the enjoyment of his property, right? And he says, no, no, this is crazy. This is a foolish way of looking at things. And so he goes on and he says that to be angry is the part of reason. Thus faults are removed. Licentiousness is curbed. This is plainly in accordance with justice and wisdom. So that's chapter 17. So now we've got, you know, God should punish, right? Chapter 18, we see this again being discussed and a few new things being introduced here. So being unmoved by, not having the emotion of anger, not having a reaction, you could say, or even approving people doing the wrong things. This is a sort of lenitas or leniency that is actually unjust and not good. So Lactantius is talking about God being a judge here. And then he comes back to this question of the household. He says that we, when an offense is committed by our household at home, whether we see it or perceive it must be indignant, indignare, right? Which is uh, not quite the same thing as ira, anger, but it's on the same spectrum. The very sight of a sin is unbecoming. The one who is unmoved or approves of faults, which is more disgraceful and unjust, or avoids the trouble of reproving them, right? He says that this is unseasonable leniency that grants pardon more frequently than is necessary. So now notice, you should actually pardon sometimes, but you got to be wise, just, prudent in pardoning, right? And so he goes on and he actually says, restraining anger in the face of sins, wrongdoing deliberately is actually vicious, vitiosa. It's not virtuous. It's a sign of going wrong, thinking, ah, I don't want to deal with this. And you're leaving other people in the lurch as a result. So he talks about this guy, Architas of Tarentum, who's praised when he comes home and finds everything ruined in his estate. And he rebukes the fault of the bailiff, the person who's in charge of things. We sometimes call this a steward, right? Or the manager. And he says, I would have beaten you to death if I had not been angry. And so a lot of people bring this up and they're like, see, that's the way you should behave. When you're angry, don't punish because you're going to do the wrong thing. And, you know, this is a, a kind of commonplace in the literature on anger. What does Lactantius tell us about this? He says that they don't see how foolishly he spoke and he acted. If, as Plato says, no prudent person punishes because there's an offense, but to prevent the occurrence of an offense, right? What we call a deterrence or other sort of future-oriented view on punishment. He says it's evident how evil an example this wise man put forth. Why? Because if slaves 
perceive their master uses violence when he's not angry and abstains from violence when he is angry, what are they going to do? They're not going to commit small offenses. They're going to commit big offenses because they know the big offenses will get him angry and then they won't get punished at all. Whereas the little things, they might get punished. So this is actually encouraging wrongdoing on the part of those within one's household. He goes on and he says, I would praise him if when he was enraged, he had given space to his anger that the excitement of his mind might calm down through the interval of time and his chastisement might be confined within moderate limits. So on account of the magnitude of the anger, punishment ought not have been inflicted, but ought to have been delayed, lest that inflict upon the offender pain greater than is just or occasion an outburst of fury in the punisher. So he's saying you don't have to punish immediately, right? But you should actually feel something about the wrongdoing that these people are doing. And he's saying that this is a mistaken example that were being put in front of us, right? He says that Archytas would have been deserving of praise if when he'd been enraged against any citizen or equal who injured him, he had curbed himself and by forbearance mitigated the impetuosity of his fury. This self-restraint is glorious, Lactantia says. For those who are under you, who you are in charge of ordering, this is not something good. And we can ask, well, what's the case with God? Are we like on the same level with God? I mean, sometimes we imagine that we are and we're like, well, God should have done this. God should have done that. Or, you know, and God is going to do what God is going to do because God is a higher being at least for Lactantius. In chapter 19, towards the end, he is going to bring up that uh, God can, in fact, pardon or overlook faults, sins, all of these sorts of things. This goes beyond just waiting to inflict punishment. This is saying God can actually decide not to inflict punishment that ought to be inflicted. And why is this the case? So he says the judge cannot pardon offenses, the human judge, because he's subject to the will of another, right? But God can pardon because he is himself the arbitrator and the judge of his own law. It's his own law that he's administering. And so when he's laid down this, he didn't deprive himself of the power, but he has the, as Lactantius is going to say, liberty, licentia, or you could say authorization coming from himself of overlooking or pardoning. Ignoscendi, which is a, a gerund there. He'll also use ignoscere, which literally means to not know about. And you can say, well, how does God an omniscient being not know about something? Well, God chooses not to focus on that, to overlook the ways in which we've screwed up. And then finally, we get to chapter 20, which is actually called Of Offenses and the Mercy, the Misericordia of God. And it begins, if he's able to pardon, he is therefore also to be angry. And then, you know, this raises an interesting question. And we could say, we can widen this. If God can be angry and punish and care and pardon, why are things the way they are? Why does the world look to be kind of screwed up? This is an age-old problem as well that he asks. Someone will say, does it often occur that they who sin are prosperous and they who live piously are wretched? Because fugitives and disinherited persons live without restraint and those who are under the discipline of a father or master live in a more strict or frugal manner. Why is the world this messed up thing where it seems like goodness isn't rewarded and evil isn't actually punished? And so he has a couple responses to this. One is, well, it's about 
taking the virtuous and confirming them in their virtue. Interestingly, Lactantius thinks that we actually do need this messed up world in order to develop virtue, in order to choose the good and reject the evil, right? So there's an argument there. He talks about virtue being proved, probare, and fixed, made constant, right? By evils, by bad things, mala. And he uses this in the plural. And then he says, vices, on the other hand, are proved and fixed by what? By pleasure, voluptatum in the singular, but it could be lots of different pleasures. So, you know, God is giving us the space to develop ourselves. He's not punishing. He's not restraining the evildoers right away. And then he provides another longer discussion that provides one more argument, you could say. And there's really two sides to this. One is, as he points out, somebody says, if God is angry, he ought to afflicted vengeance at once and punished everyone according to their desert. So if God really is angry, why aren't we seeing the results of that? right now. And Lactantius says, if God did this, no one would survive. Everybody's screwing up in some way, right? And if God was going to apply the law very, very strictly and not pardon, show mercy at any time, we'd all be screwed. There wouldn't be any human race left, right? He says, one reason for destroying the human race might have been a just one that people despising the living God pay honor to earthly and frail images. And even with that, God doesn't destroy everything, right? So don't ask for that. That would be kind of ridiculous. Again, he says, to such an extent as the frailty of the flesh with which we're clothed liable to sin, unless God were indulgent to this necessity, too few would live. On this account, he is most patient and does in fact restrain his anger. Doesn't restrain it in the sense of not feeling it, but doesn't act on it right away. And so this is where we can talk about patience, paciencia, which is recognized by Christians as a virtue, one of the virtues, right? It's actually the one that's typically opposed to anger. In this case, it functions as a kind of, what would we say, modifier of anger. So he goes on and he says, on this account, he is most patient for in him, there is perfect virtue. God is completely virtuous, right? Not like our partial virtue. And it follows of necessity that his patience also is perfect, which is also a virtue. So God is showing us in some respect how we ought to ourselves behave. So he's perfect with human beings. And this creates opportunities, opportunities that we see human beings actually taking. What are the examples here? How many men from having been sinners have afterward become righteous? From being injurious have become good? From being wicked have become temperate? How many were in early life base and condemned by the judgment of all afterwards turned out praiseworthy? This could not happen if punishment followed every offense. So by allowing punishment not to happen right now, God provides a space in which people can be like, oh, I'm screwing up, man. I need to fix my life. Maybe make some amends for the bad stuff I did back here and certainly change my way of being in the future, which allows people to be changed, 
to go from being bad to good. And so part of the pardoning, it's not like a blanket, oh, do whatever you want. It's more like, hey, I'm not going to punish you because I want to see you doing better for yourself and for all the other people that are stuck being here on this earth with you. And so there's the possibility of mercy, of pardon, of forgiveness even. And that allows the divine anger and punishment not to be inflicted, which will then allows for greater good. So this is Lactantius's point of view on this rather complicated set of issues. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works. <laughs>